1: What's up, nerds? This is Just a Couple arslings, the Last Kingdom podcast. I'm one of
0: your hosts, Jessica Toomer. And I'm Alyssa Fixie. We're writers for sci-fi wares, fangirls who started recapping The Last Kingdom in season three. So we decided to bring that nerdy, horny energy to Podcastlandia. Jessica, how are you? It's a beautiful Friday. We made it through the week.
1: I'm taking my jacket off now because, like, I know I'm just going to get so heated with our small talk combo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Guys, we've really put a lot of thought into what we're going to talk about for our small talk uh, to get the episode started, which we normally don't do. Normally it is just small talk, but— I feel like we're both, like, sufficiently enraged It's (laughs) just from the week.
0: Right. It's a little less freewheeling than it usually is. Like, we usually have a pretty good idea of what we're going to talk about. But, like, we've got quotes. We've got sources. (laughs) We're a little heated because, you know, things are bad in the real world. But things are also bad in movie world. And we want to talk about it. Yeah, it's too much bad. Yeah. So like if
1: if the real world is going to shit, I want my movie world to like be my escape, mm. but that's not that's how it's not going possible right now either. No. Um so of course we're talking about all of this Joker nonsense. I mean, I, I'll go ahead and say it. I was never excited for this movie. Me either. Um so like there's a there's definite bias here. Um <laughs> just because I feel like the Joker has been done and done and done and Uh, in our current kind of climate, he does not need to be done. No. Um, And also, I mean, once you have Heath Ledger, do the Joker, just everyone else sit down.
0: Right. I mean, there's no point. We already already (sighs) saw Jared Leto shit the bed, and it's just— Oh, my God. Butcher it. I just—you know, here's the thing for me. Like, outside of the political idea, the Joker is such, like, this— you know, agent of chaos that I don't really want his whole backstory explained to me. Like, I don't need to know every single detail about why he is the way that he is. Like, it's okay for there to be mystery there. I like for there to be mystery there, and especially with a character like the Joker. And so it just, Mm -hmm. not only does it feel really tone deaf, it's so unnecessary too. so. But yeah, so there was, there's been some controversy around this movie, Basically, since it was announced that it would sort of serve as this sort of standard bearer for the incel community and just these disaffected white men who think that the world is unkind to them and who think that, you know, they deserve a different life and are willing to be violent to take it. And, you know, surprisingly enough, the white men who made this movie have not responded well to the criticism (laughs) are we surprised mm. <laughs> white men not responding well to criticism is not a shock
1: that's crazy that's crazy um, yeah so okay so
0: Todd Phillips is the director of this um Todd Phillips of the classic hangover films so you know a lot Jesus. of nuance a lot of nuance in his uh, filmmaking right and did he do all three I He did all say three, yes yes. Let me okay, so let me double you you keep talking oh, and I'm gonna Let's fact do check. our research. Right. Um
1: yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking if he did all three, this is also a man who doesn't know when to stop. Mm. Because he should have stopped at number one. Um but Joaquin Phoenix plays uh the Joker, which I don't think that's I think he goes by like a different name for most of the movie because this is this is story. basically like an origin story for the Joker.
0: He's a sad, sad boy. Yes, and um, he did indeed direct all three Hangover films. I knew it. Yep. I knew it. So <laughs> obviously,
1: there's a there's no like self editing with this dude. Yeah. Um, and that makes me worried <laughs> for the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So it, basically, if you've seen trailers, it it just looks like this is going to be a movie about a white guy who's super sad. The world has like treated him bad, and um. He's kind of lashing out against that, which I feel like that's not, again, I want my movies to kind of be an escape or at least like a a conversation starter, mm-hmm. but I don't want to have that conversation. And this isn't an escape because that's the world we live in. White right. men are very pissed off right now about their lot in the world, and I just don't want to give
0: anyone any more fuel, you right. know? yeah. Phillips spoke to AP about this, and I'm going to read the quote because there's a lot to unpack here. And he he was talking about the controversy and how he thinks it's unfair. Um, And so basically what he said is the movie still takes place in a fictional world. It can have real world implications and opinions, but it's a fictional character in a fictional world that's been around for 80 years. The one criticism that bugs me more is the toxic white male thing when you go, oh, I just saw John Wick 3. He's a white male who kills 300 people and everybody's laughing and hooting and hollering. Why does this movie get held to different standards? It honestly doesn't make sense to me.
1: Okay, first of all. Keep Keanu Reeves' name
0: out of your fucking mouth. Okay, Ty? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Like, like with John Wick, first of all, Keanu Reeves is not white. Keanu Reeves is Asian American. Um, Yes. Second of all, the idea that the John Wick universe is so heavily stylized and so Mm. far removed from anything realistic. And it's not like... John Wick is going on a killing spree of innocence you know like he's not just like gunning people down in the street he follows a code he only kills other assassins like it's very contained you know what I mean so it's not like he's pissed off at his lot and he goes on a killing spree like sure Somebody killed his dog and that's sort of what gets him started. But it's not just like random killing because he's pissed because, you know, his next door neighbor doesn't reciprocate his romantic advances and he thinks he deserves a better job. Like he's on a mission of revenge and he's only killing people who are trying to kill him.
1: There's a there's a sense of like reluctance with John Wick, I would say. Sure. Like it's not he doesn't necessarily he's good at what he does, but it doesn't necessarily mean he enjoys it. And I feel like that's flipped with
0: the Joker. Yeah, 100 percent. It's a real false equivalency thing that I find very purposefully obtuse in a way that is just infuriating. Um, and, you know, Joaquin Phoenix hasn't really said much about this because he keeps walking out of well, he walked out of an mm. interview Um with uh, IGN, and they asked him if this, you know, if this movie would serve as sort of an inspiration for potential killers. And instead of answering the question, he just kind of left the interview. It says uh, they had to do an hour's peace brokering with Warner Brothers PR following this interview, and Joaquin Phoenix explained that he panicked because he hadn't been asked that question before, and he didn't answer it. So mm. the idea that you could make this kind of movie in this kind of political climate and not consider those questions is that's insane to me. Like that is just that is just—that proves that you're so far removed from reality that you shouldn't be telling a story like this. You know what I mean? Like if you don't have the cultural context of why this could be incendiary, you shouldn't be making this story. It should be entrusted yeah. to somebody else or not told at all at this point.
1: So I think also the way it's been made should be, like, talked about. So, like, Mm. you know, he uses this excuse of this is a fictional world. It's existed for 80-plus years, uh, which is true. Like, the Joker is a comic book character. But if you see this movie, if you see even the trailer for this movie, he's done a lot to make it feel very real. Mm -hmm. To make this world that uh, the Joker—he goes by Arthur in this movie— to make it feel like a real world, to sure. make it feel like this could be happening, like, literally right down the street from you. And so that's a difference to me from even, you know, how Nolan approached the Batman mm-hmm. series or how Marvel approaches, like, its Avengers things. Like, there's, there's an effort to be in the real world, but there's enough kind of, like, you know, superhero sci-fi fantasy shit to... Mm-hmm. You know, at least trigger something in your mind of, like, okay, this is just a movie, you know? Right. For this, I feel like, especially for people that are um, susceptible or um, already leaning uh, that way, Mm -hmm. to see someone like this character kind of just go off the rails in such a visceral and real, like, just such a real way. Yeah. I feel like it could be it could be very dangerous. And I don't think that's, you know, he also spoke to um, the Washington Post, Todd Phillips did, um, you know, about they're just being outraged because it's a commodity and people are familiar with it. And uh, he kind of blames the far left a little bit for getting so upset and brings up cancel culture. And it's like, oh, my God, it's
0: you know what? It's not one. I have a problem with that term cancel Culture, but well, I it, feel doesn't, like- it doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Like, show me a man who's had to face consequences for the Me Too movement that is like really, truly had his life ruined because it doesn't exist. Like, maybe Harvey Weinstein, maybe, but at the same time, like, good. He deserves it, you know, and yeah, so this whole this whole idea of oh cancel culture, how will they make a living? They don't need like. Here's the thing: that idea that you'll ruin somebody's life by denying them the greatest job in the world is the fact that that I don't know. I just I get so I get so angry about the idea of cancel culture that I can't even articulate my thoughts right now. But I just no, I totally get it. Yeah, and it's just. We're not saying that these men need to die or whatever. It's just they need to face up for the, th- the you know, the crimes they've committed or whatever and not be given a free pass, you know. And right. so the idea of facing consequences, the idea that facing consequences is so over the top is insane to me. So, I just and, you know, it's funny, like you mentioned how they've made such, you know, made the world feel so lived in and down to earth and realistic. And that's been something they've talked about in the past, you know, in making this movie that they wanted it to be a more grounded, earthy version of a superhero narrative or a supervillain narrative in this way. And, to you know, to pull that and then be like, but it's a fictional world like you can't have it both ways. You know, is it fictional or are you trying to make it realistic like. You can't have it both ways
1: yeah like he literally I think I'm gonna find this he told the rap he, I said he said I literally described to Joaquin at one point in those three months as like look this is at this as a way to sneak a real movie in the studio system under the guise of a comic book film yeah those are his words right uh, yeah don't don't fall back on that oh it's just fiction like no you did you did your like hardest you worked as hard as you could to make it seem real. And so if things happen, like, and this is what really bothers me is because, so now, you know, people have to, in this climate that we're in, if you want to go see this movie, or if you want to go see the movies at all, when the Joker comes out, you have to think about how are, how are people going to receive this movie? Like, that's That's the public's job now, that's these theaters' jobs, that's the studio's job. Like, you're putting a burden on everyone by putting this movie out. And, I mean, I hope to God, like, nothing happens, but it just feels like, it feels like, why are you treading that line? You know what I mean? What was the purpose of this? Why
0: stoke that fire? You know what I mean? Right. And there's— What
1: could you possibly have to say on the subject that would, like, enlighten things further—
0: That would make it worth this kind of risk. Sure. And I guess, like, going back to, like, you know, how could they not have foreseen this? Like, you can't make a movie like this about a character like this without expecting controversy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for them to be like, oh, this isn't fair. How dare people, you know, be upset about this? How how could you not see this coming? Like, how can you be so angry that this is happening when— There's no way you could have known or not known that this was going to be a controversial film. And I feel like if you're going to make a controversial film, like, stick to your guns and accept it. Stand by it. Like, stand by it. Stop whining about, you know, people who don't understand your art or whatever. But, like, well, and another crazy thing to me is it got pretty good reviews. Like, uh, did it play at Venice? Was it Venice that it played at? And maybe Toronto?
1: I feel like it did. It played at Toronto, I know. I think it did. Open at Venice. Yeah,
0: and I want to say it, like, won an audience award, so it's not, like... Yes. Yeah, so it's
1: not... There's talk of, like, Joaquin Phoenix getting an Oscar for this. Oh, God.
0: Which, like... I know. And, you know, I just... It's so ridiculous, and for him to I, be whining about people whining about his movie, like, that's just... That is the most snowflake bullshit I've ever heard. You know what I mean? Like, oh, why isn't everybody reacting to this movie exactly like I wanted them to? That's just—it's so—I can't. I
1: can't. Anytime you have films open at, like, festivals like this, Mm -hmm. it's a—when you go to a film festival, it's a bubble, right? You know, you're— You're with all these other critics um, and industry people. You're going to see the same movies, so you're just talking them up, talking them up all the time for that short amount of time that you're there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, whether or not we realize it does, that does influence how you receive and review a movie. And so I feel like they were, they started off with, you know, such a cushion of like, oh, all of these critics at these film festivals are really enjoying it. They're giving it really great marks. Joaquin's getting noticed for his acting. Like, And I feel like that set them up like for a discourse that was much softer than in reality. So when it hits, you know, the wider market, when people who haven't been to a film festival and you know what I mean, it's just a different it plays different. And I think we have to start thinking about that, too, in terms of like how we, you know, talk about movies, even just as like critics. I think some of that is on us to realize, like. We can appreciate, maybe we can appreciate the artistry or maybe we can appreciate like if Joaquin Phoenix is like super good in this role and he just dives in or something, but you have to then remove yourself from the artistic level of, like, looking at a film and think about, like, the real-world
0: world consequences. I feel like in this age, you have to do that. Sure. I mean, nothing Nothing is released in a vacuum, you know? Like, right. Like, sure, we would love to just be able to take things at, you know, artistic value. And I'm sure it's a well-made film. I'm sure Joaquin Phoenix is incredible. He's almost always incredible. And so, but it just it feels irresponsible mm-hmm. and i think i think this sort of unwillingness to grapple with that on the part of the filmmakers is really frustrating to me so but yeah. anyway let's talk about better things well i mean let's talk about other sad boys right. but they're not as <laughs> problematic <laughs>
1: Let's We're talk trying. about We're wrong, trying today. wronged
0: men who channel their rage into a more appropriate outlet. Let's say right. that. Let's talk about Uhtred. Uhtred <laughs> is at sea on the slave ship in season two, episode three. And it just, I mean, there have been a lot of moments on this show where I'm like, God, that looks fucking miserable. And this was just mm. the one that takes the cake. So I look out of a grave.
1: That will not be our fate. I swear to
0: you. Think these bastards are better? They're gonna hold for you. We're destined to be tossed overboard with the rest of the ship. I tell you, Finan, it'd be my own bad luck if I got tossed overboard alive. I can't
1: swim. There's a reason I like don't do cruises Mm. or like do any kind of boating activities. Yeah. and this is why.
0: Yeah, the um, open ocean is terrifying. Like I'll go out on a terrifying. boat on a lake, but the ocean—that's uh, a hard no. Look, I've—I've, I've, you know, I live at the beach,
1: and I've—I've I've sure. been out, obviously, on the ocean on a boat. Um, but my one stipulation is I always have to see land because I always have to know that there's a possibility I could swim back to shore right, right. if the worst <laughs> happened. Uh, that's not the case here for Uhtred no. and Hallig and the rest of these slaves, uh, poor guys. They're they're kind of shackled um, underneath, you know, the floorboards of this boat and they're just rowing their asses off, yeah. you know, to get these slave masters wherever they need to go. I'm assuming they're picking up more slaves or selling people, Um it's, it's wet and, uh, There's a lot of seasickness. Poor Uh, poor Halig. Halig is having.
0: He has needs some uh, of those bracelets or some Dramamine. I think this might be beyond Dramamine's aid at this point. (laughs) (laughs) You're telling me they don't have natural Dramamine Uh, in medieval times? Crazy. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, they live. Uh, But yeah, Halig. He's got. He has such a rough time this episode. It breaks my heart. And we meet one of my personal favorite characters. Uh, Finnan is here. He's the best Irish prince of my. Heart. Let's my do it. my God, our
1: little <laughs> hunky sack of potatoes. Oh, God, Finnan. I mean, even in this state, so, you know, they do a really good job of making Utrid and Finnan and the rest of them look just worn down. Yeah. I mean, there's scabs, there's cracking lips. It's I mean, awful. It's, it's oh, bad. It's so sad. And so Finnan is not the sexiest he will ever be on this show, but there's just something about, like, when he first kind of pops up behind Uhtred as we see a shot of, like, Utrid rowing, I'm just like, yes. Hey, what's like, up? That's Now a good we're lo- getting somewhere. <laughs> That's a good-looking beard, despite being on a
0: pretty rough boat. Who's this dude? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, one thing I do really love about the scenes on the slave ship is, and which sounds, like, really awful to say that I love anything about these scenes, but I love that they're still showing, like, even in these horrible circumstances, you can see why people follow Uhtred, you know, when Mm -hmm. he, like, pulls Halig aside and he's like, you're a warrior, you know, we're we're in this together, I won't leave you, we'll make it to land, when Halig is, like, losing his mind, and Mm -hmm. he sort of gives him sort of a clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose kind of inspiring speech, and I'm like, and I'm like, Coach Taylor, (laughs) (laughs) and I was just like, yeah, like, I get why people are so willing to follow him because he's an inspiring dude. And, you know, it's not like he's expecting Halig to, like, do all the work for him because he's a lord or whatever. Like, he's down there with them rowing just as hard and just as shitty of conditions. And, yeah, that would inspire me to, like, keep rowing, too, because I knew that, you know, Uhtred was in there with me. I think it
1: kind of goes back to the last episode before Bayoka leaves, he tells Uhtred, um, you have a good heart. Like, mm-hmm. I pray that never changes. And I think that's true. I yeah. think the reason that people find him so inspiring and so motivating and will follow him into battle and to death is because he is, he is a loyal person. He really cares. If he says he cares for you, if he takes you into his service, if you become one of his friends, like, that's for life yeah. to him. Yeah. So, and I think, that's very different from anyone else on this show. Um, especially especially the men who are in power or are kind of searching for power. Um, I think there's a like a, a tendency to kind of see people as disposable. Alfred certainly does. Um, but Utrecht never does. I mean, he, he has ambitions like the rest of them, but he doesn't see people As just things to throw away when they're no longer of use. And you see that on this ship. You see that in the way he kind of protects his men. Even when he's just exhausted. I mean, like, I would just be, like, out dead by by this point. Oh, yeah. He's still, like, taking those buckets and getting water out of there. Because he knows, like, if you sit in that water, your your skin's going to start molding. You're not going to—we're not going to be able to get out of here. He is able to— keep his head in really, really difficult situations. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something else that people respect because that's a really, that's something I feel like you're kind of born with or not. You know what I mean? That ability to kind of think under pressure, or at least it's fashioned into you in some way. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Yeah, I would definitely—I wouldn't want to be on the ship, but, like, if Uhtred was there, I'd feel a little bit better about it.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I think it's really an interesting contrast between Uhtred and, like, what's going on with Guthrid as he's, like, trying to hold on to his Mm. power, and he's making every wrong decision because he's listening to that horrible abbot who doesn't know what he's talking about. And, like, as soon as Uhtred is gone, because of how he handled that, like— they lose Uhtred's uncle Elfric as uh ally. They lose the brothers. Like, he loses all of his allies in one meeting because he just, like—because <laughs> he totally bungles everything. Like, he can't stand firm and stand by Uhtred, but he also can't, like, you know— Completely disregard him either, and it's just like you have to shit or get off the pot because people are not going to respond well to a wishy-washy leader, and that's exactly what he is. We leave tomorrow, Lord. I beg you, my business here is over. Goodbye, Lord Elfridge So nice to meet you.
1: Enjoy the long walk home to Babenburg. Good Guthred. By saving Uhtred, what you now have is a chaos of your own making.
0: Chaos. If Eelfrish is not with us, then the ground has shifted. We'll take no part in the siege of Dunholm. Eric, we must. We have an agreement. We have plans. We'll no longer involve the brothers.
1: And it's funny because if you remember last episode, Uhtred has this conversation with him. Yeah. He says, you cannot be a friend to everyone. You're a king. Right. Sometimes you have to inspire fear. Sometimes you have to stand strong in, like, an opinion. Yeah. If people hate you for it, they hate you for it. But that's your role. And... That's something that uh, Guthrie is, has just never learned how to do. No, I mean he's and I don't know why people are expecting him to know how to do that
0: because he's he's such grown up a slave. He's such a dweeb. He of course he's not gonna like have a backbone. Like he he's a
1: people pleaser. Yeah. I mean if you were if you were raised in captivity in that way, and like every day just hung on you, making sure you didn't piss off your masters mm-hmm. enough to where they beat you to death. Yeah, I mean how's that gonna inform You know, how you take on this position of power. I think we see that because he is just, he grows more spineless by the day. And uh, the brothers are not having it. Aelvritch is pretty pissed that he didn't have, like, you know, Uhtred's head waiting in a box. Mm. Um, So, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Guthrie. And then, also, to kind of rub salt on the wound,
0: Gisela pieces out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which, go girl, run to that nunnery. Yeah, get out of there. Like, it's very clear that Gisela got all of the backbone in this family. Like, Mm -hmm. she is not going to be a tool for her brother. She's going to wait it out with some nuns until Uhtred shows back up. And it's just, I love her. She's amazing. And yeah, but yeah, as soon as Aelfric is like, oh... So Utrecht was fond of her. Yeah, of course I'll marry her. Of course. I'm like, Ugh, gross. Ugh, get out of here, man. Like get out of here." God, he has he's so obsessed. I mean, it's like it's super it's, it's super weird because like it's weird. You know, you stole his land. Like he hasn't, you know, you started this, my man. And again, they don't want to face consequences for their own actions. <laughs> It,
1: it's it's
0: very strange because
1: yes, so he's the one who took Bevenberg. He tried to kill him when he was a boy. Okay, haven't seen him in like how many years? You know, a while. Well, and, I guess he
0: sort of stopped up or you know rocked up and was like, hey, you know, I'm going to take this back from you. So right, true, true. But so at the same, same time, the- it's like he showed up with just him and Brita on a couple of horses. Like he's not <laughs> a threat really to his position. <laughs> At, well, at that point he wasn't, but now I guess he's got you know. Now he's a little bit more right, he's, But it just
1: it does feel like he's like Averch is like almost angry, L- like you said, like he's he's responding to something. Utrid has done when it's th- the complete opposite, yeah. you know. And I think that that's just like the fear, how he's dealing with the fear of like Utrid taking what he knows is is belongs to Utrid. I mean, he he knows that that's not his place and and his right and. Um. Yeah, it's really frustrating how much uh, these dudes like to use women as pawns and move them around and, like, just hurt each other with them. And, ugh, God, it's so gross. That was, like, a recurring theme this episode, I felt like. Yeah. How we, like, use women. Each time I talk of swords and spears, and yet you insist on speaking
0: of unions. A a cup of water for Lord Chairwolf? A cup of water? I think perhaps a hole in the ground. You know, we've got the Mercians rock up to Wessex and are like, all right, let's make this match. And that old man... Kay Wolf, who was like, is there a male equivalent of a crone? Because that's who that guy was. <laughs> like, screaming, at, screaming at Alfred, pointing his just finger. give him a fucking sword, right. dude, so shut right. up. Right. <laughs> and when that guy like, it was so strange. He like, was so intense. And then he just dies at dinner. And I'm like, alright, so he died like choking on the scenery that he was chewing in every second that he was on screen. But it was mm. just like, that whole that whole using women as like political property to be traded and whatever is just so ick, you know, it's just that. But that was the way it was back then. But yikes, yeah. yikes. And I, you know, it's one of those things like you can tell that Alfred really does love Athelflet a lot. So he doesn't sure. want to just like give her away to whoever. But I feel like Ailswith is a little bit more blinded by the political possibility, especially since she was also from Mercia, to, so to right. have her daughter sort of return to that is very, very appealing to her. Whether or not it's the best thing for Aethelflaed. sorry, all these ales and Athels, I'm like, Aels,
1: Athels. Um, no, I think, I think another thing with Aelfswith is. So this has it's because it did strike me as weird. I think to see. Alfred really kind of hesitant about this mm-hmm. and ails with like all in because yeah. I would just assume, you know, that's her mother. Like you're going to be very protective of your daughter, whereas the dad maybe is thinking more like long term in terms of power in England and this unification that he's planning. Yeah. Um, But I feel like ails with. Yes, yeah, she's from Mercier and this has happened to her. Mm-hmm. Right. So she's she's gone through what Ethelflet um, is now going to go through. She got relative. And it worked out pretty. Right, well I was going to say <laughs> she got
0: relatively lucky. Like Alfred has his flaws and has shagged quite a few servant girls, but like he's not he's not cruel to her. You know, like he's no, he's not abusive. Right. He listens to her. He values her
1: um, input. He's got big ambitions. Sure. He's you know everyone basically respects him and thinks he's going to be this king of a unified England. Yeah, and so I think Ails with only expects things to be even better for Aethelflaed when she goes to Mercia. I don't think she really thinks like, oh, well, maybe
0: I just got it good and my daughter might not, you know? Yeah. And, you know, in this episode, you can see that Aethelflaed is pretty excited about potentially marrying Athelred, too, because, you know, she's young and he's got that pretty sexually non-threatening vibe that, like, everybody's into when they're about, like, 15, 16. Like, he's it's the curly yeah, hair. Yeah, he's basically, like, <laughs> the Legolas of the Last Kingdom, except evil. <laughs> except he's
1: really evil. Right. No, and I feel terrible. So, uh, Toby Regbo plays um, uh, Athelred mm-hmm. on the show, mm-hmm. and... I don't know. Did
0: you ever watch that CW series, Reign? I think I got like four or five episodes in and I just, I couldn't handle,
1: I couldn't it's handle totally it. It's totally inaccurate. So I get, so that's what I assumed, like you would really not yeah, enjoy I, the historical I inaccuracy. I couldn't do it. But the costume, I was in it for
0: the costume, well, so costumes. I stayed a bit longer. <laughs> the costumes <laughs> were what killed me. I'm like, it looks like they just oh, like <laughs> Shopped at ASOS and got their, you know, yes, their, their, it was like, their festival <laughs> wear for that year. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It was like hipster France yes. in like the 1700s or something. I fucking loved it.
1: Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it wasn't so, for but me. He was in that. It, he was and he played Francis in that. And so Francis was like a really he was a really good dude. And yeah, so it's hard because I just see him as that. But it's like I know that he's going to be just this terrible person. Well, he's got such um, like an
0: angelic face that it it, it almost makes like his to. future <laughs> evilness like even more upsetting. So you're like ah, because you can't predict it right. you don't see it coming right right which is which is terrible to like equate someone's looks with their evilness i know that's a terrible trope sorry sorry Toby. <laughs> but, like it's, it's it not clips. your fault you have beautiful golden <laughs> curls and baby face skin right. and <laughs> yeah yeah anyway it's gonna be bad we yeah it's gonna be bad so poor ethel okay so anyway this negotiation is happening
1: over dinner kind of red wedding style right. A little less betrayal, just, you know, (laughs) just your heart giving um, out the natural way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Ailswith kind of snatches up that letter that he brings while everyone else is checking the dude's pulse. Finds out that Ethelred was the choice to marry Ethelfled,
0: That is just, um, that, those names together, I can't. I know. Why do they have to rhyme? Why do they have to oh. rhyme? It's so, it's um, the same name, basically. <laughs>
1: basically. Like, who came up with these names back then? Yeah. Because they were real lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they all start with, like, an A and E and L. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Anyway. Um, we're doing this for you guys, okay? <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, that, that negotiation, it still goes on. Um, you know, after after the guy dies, uh, Alfred sends some swords to, to Mercia, um, and then Ethelred comes back and is like, thanks for the help, really appreciate it. Would totally love to marry your daughter. I'm thinking she's worth 3,000 coins. And then they're like, mm, and he's like, oh, 4,000? And then they're like, mm, we're thinking more permanent. Yeah. And so... They basically barter for Fled to have land and titles, yeah. um, which would really which uh, is smart. cement her place. Super smart. Yeah, Very so smart. She don't need money. No. Like, she needs security. Yeah. And security back then is in land and titles. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's almost, like, the first, looking back on it now. So, I didn't expect Ethelred to be, like, terrible. Yeah. But looking back on it now, knowing how he is, like, that's the first kind of cue, the way he reacts to that, which is, like, it's it's like that pushback from Alfred mm-hmm. is a little bit grating to him, yeah. You know, so he's come in thinking, "Oh, I'm giving you like a lot of money. You should just be happy with this." Right. And when something else is asked for, he's like, oh, "Yeah, I guess." You know, like I don't know. I just felt like there was a little bit of a vibe there that I should have picked on picked up on the first time, and that Alfred definitely should have picked up on. Yeah. Um, Hindsight
0: is twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Again. Right. We'll blame the curls.
0: Yeah, and, you know, while this is all going on, you've got Hild and you've got Ragnar and you've got Steapa like, scouring the land. Beautiful little trio. Oh, so good. I was, I forgot that Brita didn't go with them, which, like, makes sense because then, you know, Ragnar and Brita would have rocked off to wherever, but I, sure. these three, they're on the road to find Utrid and they're just, like, so dedicated, and you're just like, ugh, I'm so glad he has people who give a shit about him, and you know, you you sort of see when they go to Efferwich and Citric sort of passes her the message, you know, letting her know more, letting Hild know more information about, you know, where Uhtred went. And there's he has so many people who are so loyal to him. And that just it warms my heart. And, it, you know, we got to talk about what happens to Hayleg, too, because mm. he just he was a very good boy, but he was never going to make it.
1: It wasn't long for this world. No, they um. So they, they end up surviving the boat, and they dock off in winter in Iceland, mm-hmm. and like they're kind of like chopping trees Which and still like doing work. It looks
0: like the least efficient way to chop, chop down a tree ever. Just like yes. All these men are gonna hold a rope, but only one person is chopping. Right. <laughs> and like, I understand I and it. I understand that it's like it's about control because there's, you know, there's way more slaves than there are guys running it. And so they have to sort of build up this culture of fear and all that. But like, geez, like it's gonna take you seventeen years to chop down one tree and it just One tree. Yeah. yeah. So they sort of they almost get away. Haley gets shot with an arrow and as um Finnan and Uhtred are trying to like get a boat out to sea. They can't leave Halig behind, even though he's been mm-hmm. shot. And so they get taken. And I kind of laughed a little bit because like, you know, they have these guys chasing him, and they've got these dogs. And they're—I think we're supposed to believe that they're like big, terrifying dogs. Except that when we get, <laughs> they're, just, they're just like huskies. They look super friendly. I'm like, those dogs just want to like play around. Like those dogs aren't gonna hurt you. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I bet if I went up to like one of those and was just
1: like, "Hey, hey buddy," they would just be like jumping around, want me to throw a ball? Right, like right. they weren't exactly yeah, no. the most
0: menacing hounds I've seen on this show, or. <laughs> 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 but yeah, they catch him because they can't leave Halik behind, and I get it. But like, they get so close to getting away, and it just it breaks my heart. So they're put back on the ship, and. This part is just the worst. Like this is terrible. Haley has been shot by two arrows at least within like the past, you know, few minutes and they basically just strap him to the front of the boat and I think it was it was basically the idea is they had to row because then the the is it the prow of the ship is the front part. I don't know. The front of the ship would go into the water and Haley would drown and sort of get A cleaner death than just, like, you know, getting splashed in the face by the elements and, you know, prolonging it. So, basically, like, Uhtred has to basically kill his friend by rowing. Right. And it's so devastating and it's so brutal. And it's just, I don't know, it's just a reminder that even if you're a good person, especially on this show, like, it's not going to end well for you. I mean, it's got to be, like...
1: One of the worst ways to go. I think even in medieval times, I think times. it's the
0: worst death we've seen so far because, like, oh, how long was he? So, it's so drawn I, out. It's so drawn out, and how terrifying would it be to be, you know, strapped to the prow of a ship? And I just, ugh, it was awful. It was awful.
1: And he can't swim. We learned that in the beginning right. of the episode. He can't swim, so, so it's that like, like
0: the f- this is his worst it nightmare. Is. It was such like a specifically horrific death for this person, and. Just, like, what a terrifying way to go. And that's just... Ugh, yeah.
1: it's And poor Utrid, you can tell it, like, really breaks him. Ugh. Just the way he is just, like, sobbing so quietly while he's rowing this boat and
0: killing his friend. It's devastating. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, they go aboard. And we first mentioned this earlier. Like, basically, um, in term, like, they... Elfric decided that he would accept Guthrid's offer of Gisela if they also told Kjartan that Uhtred was alive and how to kill him because they're like, you know, why waste our men when there's somebody who's perfectly willing to do it? On their own. So Sven is right. like waiting to kill Utrid as they, you know, as the slave ship pulls up. And you can tell that Utrid is just like, he has no fight in him left. And it's mm-hmm. so devastating. And of course, Sven is loving it because he loves seeing, you know, people weakened. And it's just, I hate that fucking guy. But luckily, Ragnar Hild and Seappa arrive just in time to save him. And it's just, ugh, it's so good, but it's so devastating it just it kills me like when Ragnar finds him and Utred is like shocked and sobbing and he's like did you believe we would abandon you that's Ugh, that um, line just it broke me it broke me Ragnar is a real one he is
1: um what's even worse I think than yeah so they come in and they save them it's really nice um Finan kills the slave master oh, that which was, was like a, a real like that was a great fist pumping moment yes, for me 100 percent um just the way that was acted out. I mean, so many props because it was just you just felt the satisfaction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then also the anguish, kind of just releasing in that death. What's even worse, I think, is is the aftermath of that. So so Sven um, hightails it out of there. He gets away, of course. And uh, they rescue the the Utrid and Finn, and they free the slaves. Yeah. And they're kind of like all around this fire and everyone's just kind of watching him because it's like you can tell like this is not the person like that left you know what yeah. i mean this is like this person has come back he's gone changed through some and different trauma. and we don't know how to approach mm-hmm. him and i feel like that's one of the ways so you know this is a this is a show set in medieval times like it's easy to like disassociate with it but like that is i don't know that felt so like relevant and real in a way to like see how all of these people are trying to like welcome this person back after they've been through such a trauma and they just don't know how to talk to him or how to approach him and of course of course it's Hild that is able to kind of break through and connect with him in probably the most beautiful scene of this show it's my favorite
0: scene in the series
1: you are Uhtred son of Uhtred lord of
0: Bebbenburg it's time you remembered that.
1: You kept the blade sharp.
0: I need your turn. Like, I love the show, but this scene in particular, it's so beautifully done and beautifully acted. And is such, it's such a perfect example of the bond that these two characters have. You know, like Uhtred is in a field and he's like almost dead to the world and Hilde comes to take care of him and she's so gentle with him. And like, you know, there's that moment where she's like, all right, take off your clothes. And he can't like he's so weak. He can't even like lift his arms to take off his clothes. Mm-hmm. And so to have that moment where Hilde like cuts him out of his shirt and dresses his wounds and sees everything that he's gone through And how in Uhtred's eyes, he's like less of a man now, you know, like he's been humbled. He's Mm -hmm. like, you know, he was taken advantage of in a physical way. And for her to be like, listen, you are Uhtred, son of Uhtred. It's time that you remember that, you know, in response Mm -hmm. to him being sort of ashamed of his reduced circumstances. And, ugh. I just it's such a beautiful moment and the reveal that she kept his blade sharp the whole time because she knew he oh, would God. be back. I was like, oh, healed. I was also quietly. Soft. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And I love it. was the it was the swords that really it's got the me when <laughs> she was like, I knew I needed feedback." be back. I was like, oh, my God, she, they're just so. like, they're the best of bros. She gets him. He gets her. <laughs> and I love it when he tells her you're too good a woman for God alone, because you're like, oh, there's the, che- <laughs> there there's he is. the cheeky we know and love, and it's just, ugh, it's so good, and it's so, it's so beautifully shot. Like I'm a real sucker for cinematography, and just the way that the light is filtering through the grass, it's perfect. It's a perfect scene of television, and I feel blessed to have witnessed it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think
1: that's like an overstatement at all. If anything, we're understating how How good good it is. It's so good.
0: Oh god, it's so (sighs) good.
1: They. Both actors just do a, an awesome job, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's just shot so well. And there's so much. I'm,
0: there's not a lot said, sure. But there's
1: so much in the quiet moments between exactly.
0: Them. And I am just, I'm a real sucker for good character work, and this was great character work for sure. So, and yeah, so yeah. after that, they, you know, they kind of fight about what they're gonna do next. He and Ragnar, because Ragnar's like, dude, I've got to take you back to Wessex. I'm basically a prisoner. I've got to do this. And he's. Breed is still back. Breed is still back. There. back I, made there. I made a promise. Like, great that you got your mojo back. Right. But. And he's, you know, <laughs> so of course, going to kill Kyrchen and save Tira is once again postponed. But one thing that mm-hmm. Utred um, will not postpone is going to get Gisela. Gotta swing by that nunnery. Gotta swing and by and pick that nunnery, Which is good because, mm-hmm. yikes, that abbot was just like ready to i feel like marriage by proxy is not a thing is that a thing i've never heard of that before so marriage by proxy is
1: a okay. thing um it happened a lot especially like i don't know about in this time but like i'm a, a real sucker for like uh when we're in like england like king henry oh, yeah the fifth and eighth and those kind of times and so that was a real thing in those times because um you know kings and queens and princes and princesses were married from and they were from different kingdoms. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe the the prince was going to still stay in France, but he was going to marry the English princess or something. Okay. And so it was by proxy. And so it is a real thing. Um, it is considered marriage, but uh, you definitely had to say the vows and you definitely had to be willing to, to do right. it. And so I think that's what's like not like holding this up for me is because... Yeah. Gisla is just so against this in every way and he's like we're gonna dispense with this we're gonna dispense with that and it's like well and everyone so you're just gonna dispense with the whole ceremony and just say she's married right. that's not And real. everybody
0: who's witnessing is horrified like nobody's stepping yes. in to save him but like you know even Aelfric's man was like yikes this is bad. You know, he's like, I got a wife. He's like, uh, uh, yeah, it's not good. And she wanted to marry him. Right. I'm right. But yeah, Uhtred yeah, finds it's her. Worse. It's amazing. And, you know, they were just going to just take her, but the abbot, he wouldn't show up, up. He played chicken and he lost. And Utrid stabs the shit out of him. It's a great moment. It's what he deserved. And, like, yeah, it's pretty bad, like, killing an unarmed priest in a church. And Hilde is obviously upset, but, like, come on. He was a super evil dude. He got what he deserved. He
1: totally deserved it. Do as you wish. In sight of God, she's married. She's what? She is Mm. married. Is she married? Yes.
0: He's a man of God. Say it one more time, priest, and I swear the devil will take you. You're nothing but a heathen, and the bitch is married.
1: Even when he was sticking that knife in him, I knew it was going to backfire later. Um, But I can't. I can't really regret no. him doing that. Because that guy needed that to go. Was yeah. He was bad. And if he were he were left to live, he would have made life hell for Uhtred and Gisela. And he would have kept, like, scheming. And it, it it was a survival thing, I think, at that point, too. Yeah. Like, Uhtred realized, like, just what a threat he could be. And he also just hated him. Yeah. So it was earned. Um, unfortunately, that means when Uhtred arrives uh, back in Wessex and meets up with Alfred... Alfred's very happy to see right. him because he tells him he's missed his childish insults. So good. Which is like the closest thing to like sweet talk we're ever going to get with these right. two. And you know
0: it was, you know they mentioned that earlier like Siappo was like Alfred sent us to get you like, you know, he's fond of you. And so they had to, you know, like Alfred gives a shit, but also he can never stop being a tactical Alfred. thinker, you know? <laughs> and so, like, you know, they have this nice reunion. He tells him about his candles, whatever. And then he's like, so, basically, <laughs> you killed a priest. And I'm going to blame it on Ragnar if you don't come and work for me again. And Uhtred is really... Gotta love that black yeah, male. and Uhtred really has no choice because he knows that it's not Ragnar's fault. So he's obviously not going to let him take the blame for it. So he's back in the service of Alfred after serving a lesser king. So... God, it sucks, but I'm glad they'll be back, like, together again because I just—I love the dynamic. I love it. I love it.
1: I I do. I love them together. And so this was, like—in terms of, like, story, this was a good way to stick them back together and make sure they stayed together. Because otherwise, I mean, knowing the kind of person that Uhtred is, he is going to go back up north and go, you know— Take on Kiartan and Sven mm-hmm. and and do his own thing, and then go up to Bergenberg. Like he's gonna follow his own his like, destiny, compass. his destiny, um, his destiny is all. <laughs> um, so this was a good way of kind of roping him into still being in, in the action. Yeah. And the real action of the show is always going to be the formation you know, of England. England. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, exactly. So it makes sense from that point of view. I just wish, I wish there was a little bit more holding these two together at this point than just like some like. Begrudging fondness and like an oath born of blackmail. Yeah. You know, like I wish, I don't know, I wanted more f- with this reunion as far as like recognizing like, Value, Utrid, I almost lost you and you were so valuable, you know. That and, was like, never gonna happen. And, and then Utrud recognizing like, Alfred, you, you saved sent me, my brother, yeah. and you saved me. Yeah, I know it was never gonna happen. I just wanted yeah. it. <laughs> that makes sense. Instead, we got talk of candles. <laughs> <laughs> And I love that Utrid
0: was like, wouldn't those be better to burn night? At night? yeah <laughs> which shows Which shows like how it's, it's such a great example of how their thinking differs. You know, like Alfred mm-hmm. is playing the long game. He's like willing to like do the seemingly crazy things if he thinks that it'll help his cause. When Utrid is like 100% practicality. You know what I mean? He's like, mm-hmm. real world, I'm out in the mud so I know how things work. You keep your theorizing, but I'm going to light my candles at night so I don't waste them.
1: It also indicates just the different backgrounds they come from. So, like, Uhtred lives a hard life. Even even when things are great, he's still leading armies. He's still fighting battles. He's still in the mud. Like, he will always live that kind of physically kind of toll. It takes a toll on you kind of life. And Alfred is always going to be in his fancy-ass robes, in his castle, theorizing and writing and just planning. And so— I think, like, their different points of view come from that as well. as like, Alfred doesn't have to think about the same shit that Uhtred has to think about. Right. And vice versa. Yeah. So, But they can never. They can oh, never so just work together. They never recognize that. I know. That. I know. It's killer. <laughs> it's killer. God. So. Men. Get your shit together. <laughs> earned our next episode wishes Mm. now uh so it's that time this is when we issue our demands for upcoming episodes like the spoiled toddlers that we are here's
0: what we want to see when we want to see it and why we won't be denied Alyssa what do you want to see happen next listen it's one of those things like I know it's not going to happen but someone just let Uhtred rest for like just like (laughs) let him take a nap let him take a bubble (laughs) bath let him you know Reconnect with Gisela. Like I know he won't because Alfred is gonna Alfred and he you know manipulates him back into his service immediately. <laughs> but I just like Alfred be right, Alfred right. Alfred gonna Alfred and it just but I just uh just let him rest, please. Um, But, like, at the same time, like, it bums me out that Uhtred was tricked by Alfred again. But, like we said, like, I'm super psyched that these two will be interacting on the right again because that's sort of, like you said, begrudging regard mixed with, you know, the constantly raised hackles as they're, like, feeling each other out and knowing the other is going to, you know, probably want to do a different thing. It's such a fascinating combo to me, so I'm really glad to be back to that after, like, dealing with Guthrid and his, like, spinelessness. And also, please, God, someone just kills Fenn already because he's such a chicken shit and he keeps, like, wriggling out of these situations where he should be dead and just, like, just do it already, please.
1: Yes. Um, agree. I would like to send that prayer up to the mm. heavens. I don't think it's going to happen soon just because Uhtred is now back with Alfred and that's happening. Right. Uh, but I would like Uncle Alfred to die. Mm. I think – uh, he needs to just be added to the list, yeah. um, maybe bump him up. As much as I hate Sven, like, I don't see Sven as as much of a threat as Eilfrich or um, Kiartin. Okay, like, maybe, I, he's like, sure. I think in terms of, like— It's going to be the most satisfying yeah. death, I think. Um, but him and his little, like, haute decor <laughs> eye patch— Like that thing was just sparkling in the sun Mm. this episode, and I was like, "Did he like change?" He bedazzled it in his sparkly now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um. There's just something about him that I just does not seem threatening or or like as immediate as these other two. And I also think after seeing how he interacts with tira i feel like no. she's also kind of he's still awful he's still awful. No, no 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 not that he like loves her i think but she's like he's not a threat to her either because okay. he seems afraid of yeah, her that's fair um i don't think kiartan is afraid of her oh, and i yeah, feel like no. if anyone were to cause her harm it would be kiartan or on kiartan's orders mm. and so i feel like sven um oh god he's such a worm and i can't root. wait to like just Yeah, I can't wait to, like, bury him in the ground, but let's also kill, like, his dad while we're at it. Um, Yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon, though. So
0: Yeah. (laughs) The Last Kingdom has a massive cast of interesting characters, and nearly everyone gets their time to shine. Our Arsling of the Week is the character who truly goes above and beyond to win the war or simply win our hearts. Jessica, who is your Arsling this week? Or this episode?
1: So it shouldn't be any surprise. It's going to be Hild uh, for me this she episode. She rolled. Ugh, she's amazing. I mean, as excited as I was to see Finn in, um, and I love his snark and what his presence like brings to the show. Mm. Uh, I think Hild being so soft with Uhtred yeah. in that in that damn spring meadow. Uh, so good. Um, it was just a dream. It was a highlight of this episode. I mean, it's probably the best moment of this entire series. It might be the highlight of my life. <laughs> I don't know. Um, So...
0: Yeah, all in for Hill this episode. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, but I'm gonna pour one out for uh, dear Hayleg. He was always mm. so good and loyal, and for, respect. Yeah, and at the you know for that goodness, he was punished with the worst death we've seen so far, and it was just it was awful, and he didn't deserve that. And even with all of the horrible things that happened to him, like he endured it all, and he never betrayed Uhtred, and he went out a real one. And we'll miss you, buddy. Not many like him out there. Yeah, like just the whole, like he could have easily, you know, traded in Uhtred and been like, hey, here's who this guy is. Maybe make my life Mm -hmm. a little better. And he never did. He never did.
1: He could have avoided going on that ship altogether. I mean, he, he begged to go with Uhtred. That's how, you know, much he loved him and how loyal he was to him. So, yeah, respect to to the bro I mean he was ride or die and he did
0: die too literal <laughs> too literal
1: yeah. too soon maybe um, get used to it Alyssa okay, I, you know, need to I know your heart. I know I'm
0: sorry I have a soft heart I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> we can't afford that I know. with this I show know. yeah we'll never make it
1: Get ready to shame none, the worst character of this episode with us. It doesn't matter if you're a Saxon or a Dane. Anyone can be a turd, and we're calling out the biggest one of the episode. This is our What a Turd section, and Alyssa, you get to go first. Who did you hate this episode? Um,
0: there are a lot of hateable people in this episode. Sure. You've got <laughs> abbots and slave traders and all these awful dudes, but I just, like, Uncle Elfrick really is a shithead through and through, mm. like... When he finds out that he can't have Uhtred's head, like, the next second he's like, all right, I'll take his girl then. And it's just, it's such a rat bastard move. And I, ugh, I just, I hate him. And I'm so sick of him sitting pretty up in Bebenberg, And just, please, let Uhtred kill him. It's time. It's past time. This guy needs to go. But I know. it been, it's time. been time. And I know <laughs> it's not going to happen for a while. But I'm just like, Jesus Christ, get this fucking guy out of here yeah he's a lot to handle.
1: and he is he's just like one one of many piles of shit this episode. Mm. For me, I'm gonna just settle on the recently departed understandable
0: understandable uh,
1: he he wasn't on this show for long, but he really made an impact in like the worst of ways. Mm. And forcing a woman into marriage is just such a slime ball move. But I think, repeatedly like claiming that she's married when both her and her Viking lover tell you to shut your lying mouth like you're just asking for a knife like right in the kidney yeah. and you know sorry to you Abbott I mean hope you
0: enjoy hell because that's where you're yeah. going yeah yeah it'll be a great time for him but yeah I can't disagree <laughs> like that guy's the, the worst
1: you'll be surrounded by people just like yeah. you <laughs> yeah
0: Now, this is clearly a very serious podcast about a very serious show, but sometimes it's nice to indulge in a little thirst. It's 2019, the world is on fire, and honestly, we deserve this. So this is our time to celebrate the thirstiest moments that really blew our skirts up this episode. It was a pretty dry
1: episode, except that we were on a boat most of the time and praying that, like, our favorites would not Mm. drown. So I don't know if that's, like, a... You know, an accurate kind of phrase to use. I think (laughs) we didn't have a lot of moments of thirst. um, So maybe we'll just take a moment of silence to appreciate uh, Uhtred's biceps. Because rowing a slave ship, it really does something for the arm and the toning there. And um, also Finan's beard, which looks bushy enough uh, to keep any girl warm during those hard, cold Icelandic winters
0: you know you're correct this was not a particularly thirsty episode however I'm gonna say a little th- something about Uhtred like again it's the horse girl in me Uhtred galloping across the <laughs> fields to go and rescue his woman like that was hot it was hot so your girl loves a little oh God, rom the horse I girl your girl loves a little romance and these two really deliver so it's a little bit more like lovey-dovey than sexy but I'll take it I get it.
1: Look, I, it makes me think of. I was just watching this episode of Big Mouth uh, where they're reading this Rock of Gibraltar oh, yes. book, and the the dude turns into yes. a horse. And I literally was like, Oh my god, like, oh god, god this that. is
0: fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa must oh, have died god. for this episode. <laughs> I felt seen. I felt seen. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I always sure. feel seen when I watch Big Mouth. But that episode yes. spoke to me. But yeah, yeah, that was a that was a real sexy time. <laughs> the dad Marty the
1: dad like puts on a saddle and tries to get like sexy with his wife that is not (laughs) as far but yeah too
0: far (laughs) too far
1: (laughs) sure Alyssa sure It's safe to say that we've never been accused of being unenthusiastic in our fandom. We annoy our family, our friends, and now you are devoted listeners. Uh, Welcome to Geek Out, where we will offer up our humble suggestions about what we think you should be watching and reading this week. Uh, Alyssa, what are you, like, super excited about um, this week? For
0: me, it was all about the return of The Good Place last night. Um, season four, Ugh. our final season, and it was a great episode, so like, sort of reestablishing everything. Because I feel like every season of The Good Place, like, the premiere episode is always kind of like a hard reboot. And the, you know, the what they're trying to accomplish sort of. Is tweaked and changed and a lot of times like you know with some characters who shall remain nameless they don't even really know what's going on anymore and so there's always there's always something new and fresh that they have to sort of discover and I just I'm my heart is broken that this is the last season but at the same time I'm really happy that it's going to go out while it's still good and still wonderful and I yeah on its own terms and it's such a high concept show that I don't want to like ever see them run out of track and so it's just I'm so glad it's back I love these characters so much like it's one of those shows that I can't pick a favorite character because they're all my favorite I love them all they're all the best and I this episode was really good even though it just it broke my heart because I'm such an Eleanor and cheaty shipper and it just uh, ugh <laughs> that, that scene oh where like God. she She's I know saying, it's it's so good but like that scene where she like shows him the room with the books I was like dying it was devastating that he doesn't remember her and I just I can't even handle it so they're gonna fix I know gonna they're fixed. gonna fix Isn't it, it? but like uh, it's there's be. gonna be twists <laughs> it's gonna hurt my feelings but also it's just it's perfect I love that show so, anyway, good place for me. Everybody watch it. The season four premiere. Such a is good show.
1: I, and I do love
0: talking about like the good plays and talking about like Schitt's Creek and like
1: Superstore. Like these comedies that are like they're just like happy. They're just feel good. They're just like they take on some serious stuff, but it's like no one has to be mean or like, you know what I yeah. mean. Like no one has to like rib on each other to make a joke. Like it's just. It's just funny just because it's funny. Like, and it's I don't know. funny. I always feel better after watching yeah, these shows. and
0: I love them because, like, they're funny but not at the expense of being thoughtful. You know, like, these shows, yeah. they're, so, they're so well done and they're so well written that, yes, they're hilarious. And sometimes the jokes are stupid, like, whatever. You know, Stonehenge was a sex thing coming from— uh, An elephant (laughs) made of light. Like, that's ridiculous. But they still have, you know, they have these beautiful things to say. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree. So what is your geek out for the week? Okay, so not a feel-good comedy.
1: um, But Peaky Blinders is coming back next uh, week, season five. So this is a show. It's a BBC show. But it's on Netflix. The fifth season is coming out on Netflix. It's already been out um, across the pond. And it's got, like, such amazing talent. It's such a good show. Uh, It's about, like, these 1920s gangsters. Oh, my God. I know. Like, just the accents, like, will pull you in. Killian Murphy's in it. Yeah. Sam Claflin uh is in it this season. Mm-hmm. Uh Finnick from Hunger Games, shout mm-hmm. out. He plays a fascist. Oh, cool. <laughs> so he like plays the worst kind of yeah. dude. Uh, but he's very good yeah. at it. And um, yeah, there's just so many good, so many good people on it. Uh Tom Hardy has been on it, Helen McCrory is on it. There's just a lot of talent there. And it's just, I feel like it's not a show that gets a lot of like buzz, yeah. but it's very well acted the cinematography is amazing and it's got this opening song it's the same for every season and um it is a fucking banger. (laughs) and like you won't be able to get it out of your head once you start watching you'll just like when you hear like that song come on it's I think it's called like the red his like red right hand or okay. something oh my god it's so yeah. good so yeah if you're if you're wanting some like gritty crime gangster drama mm. in your life from the 1920s with dudes who have like really sharp like haircuts okay. uh, this is this is your yeah. show hmm. oh sounds it sounds like a lot oh my god Alyssa Speaking of haircuts, we never talked about the haircuts. Oh my god! That's gonna be our that's gonna be our small talk next okay, episode. Okay, we'll have to plug something
0: we wrote like down. two weeks ago. But yeah, it's great. But it's still it's relevant. Still relevant. <laughs> <laughs> it's still something I think about every sure, day. I get it, I get it. <laughs> Alright, guys, if you want to hear more of our bullshitting, check us out on Twitter or over at Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. We've got links to everything below this episode. And until next time, Destiny is all bitches.